0: The news cycle these days can be relentless.
1: Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth. Something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Find your frequency.
1: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. You know how this business works. Insurance companies would prefer that nothing bad ever happen to your home. Because then they'll collect your premiums forever... And never have to pay out. All reward, no risk, of course. Then who would buy insurance? And you, the purchaser, also don't want anything bad to happen, but you pay so that you'll be okay if it does. You reward the insurance company for taking on the risk. This is a formula that's worked to insure homes and other things all across Canada and the world for centuries. And this risk-reward balance keeps changing, usually very slightly, to make sure the insurance companies make enough money to pay out and to still turn a profit, which is why sometimes your premiums go up. But what happens if something throws that equation out of whack, like way out of whack,
0: uh, West Kelowna was ablaze, but most tragically what appears to be structures on fire.
1: But hundreds of fires are still threatening communities throughout the region, with thousands of people forced out of their homes.
0: Several parts of Nova Scotia are grappling with significant flooding after a prolonged thunder and lightning storm. Just look at the carnage there. Look at the that truck's never going to run again. My garage is gone. My Pretty wild. <laughs> pretty wild.
1: There is a point some places in this country are reaching it, at which insurance companies simply will not insure your home against a certain outcome, like flooding. Too much risk, not enough reward. And as the weather becomes more extreme and less predictable, the number of homes that fit that criteria rises. Now, what happens if too many homes become uninsurable? If too many people are left with absolutely nothing after a disaster. If home buyers don't understand which disasters exactly they can even get insurance for when they buy their house. How sure is insurance in the climate era? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Catherine Backus is the Director of Climate Finance and Science at the Intact Center on Climate Adaptation at the University of Waterloo, something of an expert on the insurability of Canadian properties in the climate era. Hello, Catherine.
0: Hi, Jordan. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us. The first thing I want to ask you is basically just to kind of get a sense of, Of what we call it when, um, as we've seen an awful lot this year, a a flood or a fire that's been uh, souped up by climate change uh, basically utterly destroys a Canadian home. Like, what do you then go to the insurance company with? How do we classify that?
0: So from an insurable perspective, we would call that a catastrophic insurable loss.
1: And how do we track these? Have we been seeing an increase in these claims in the climate era? Can you just give us a sense of of the trajectory of those types of losses?
0: Yes, of course. Well, actually, there's no better witness of the costs of climate change than the property and casualties. So the PNC insurance sector, and again, that's specifically the annual catastrophic insurable losses for Canada. So a cat loss. So that's any event, such as a flood, wildfire, hailstorm, windstorm, that triggers $25 million or more of insurable losses. Hmm. So between 1983 to 2008, losses ranged from approximately 250. To $450 million per year for extreme weather events. Okay. From 2009 onward, losses now average approximately $2 billion a year, oh. with 13 out of the 14 of the last years being above $1 billion. So just to give a little example for 2022 losses reached 3.1 billion dollars so that ranked it as the third worst lost year in insured history in in Canadian history so that's in comparison to 2016 which was the worst lost year in history the Fort McMurray Wildfire right which was approximately six billion dollars but that was a localized event so the Fort McMurray wildfire that accounted for 75 percent of losses that year so I believe 2022, That's a better representation of what we're going to be seeing happening in the future because no one extreme weather event last year took the pot of the most damage. So the storms were geographically dispersed and that's what climate models have predicted and that's exactly what Canada is getting. So we can see these geographically dispersed incidents from the devastating wildfires, flooding and extreme heat events. So Mm -hmm. to answer your question regarding trajectory, When you look at these losses on a graph, the trend line, that's actually curvilinear. So my assumption, and and I believe I'm going to be right, is that these losses are going to continue to increase in the years to come. And it's important to remember that what we're doing is we're talking about insurable losses here. If we multiply those amounts by three to four times, which is the rule of thumb, what you actually get is uninsurable losses. So for 2022, insurable losses were 3.1 billion. That means between nine to $12 billion coming out of the pockets of individuals, businesses, and governments. So for governments, that's money coming out of budgets for hospitals, schools and infrastructure development. So we really have to think about these socioeconomic impacts that are happening because of climate change.
1: What's an uninsurable loss? Can you give me a couple examples?
0: So it's where the insurance wouldn't cover. So say you have a flooded basement, on average across Canada, a flooded basement is $43,000. Your insurance company is going to have a cap on that coverage. So that could be anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000. Oh. So say your cap is at $10,000, if the average cost of a flooded basement is $43,000, a homeowner could be on the line for $33,000, and that's in a few days. So you need that liquidity, you need that money in hand, because that flood event tends to be sewage water that's backed up into the home. So you got to get that water out of the home as quickly as possible.
1: So I realize we can't say with total certainty um, what this year will look like. But I mean, just based on the amount of coverage we've done of climate disasters this year, and uh, obviously, as we're speaking, um, the capital city of the Northwest Territories is being evacuated. Uh, is it fair to say that we're looking at an increase even from last year?
0: I would assume so, yes. And if we were not to, and so this has happened in the past where there's a major event and the assumption is there's going to be very high insurable losses. And that graph that I was talking about is going to continue to increase And what you'll notice is sometimes that doesn't actually happen. So an example that I would give is in 2021 in British Columbia, after it experienced the heat dome, major wildfires, it then experienced a major flood and mudslide event that had devastating impacts. And... The assumption was that was going to be very high on the insurable claims. And it was. It was about 500, if I'm not mistaken, about $500 million in insurable claims. But the assumption was it was going to be even higher than that. And what you actually saw is that that's where the uninsurable costs come into play. So yes, to answer your question, I do believe this year is going to be even bigger than last, which was $3.1 billion. But for some reason, if it is not, that doesn't mean the costs are not there. It just means it's not coming out from the insurable perspective. It's coming out of the pockets of people, businesses, and governments.
1: As those insurable losses continue to mount driven by climate events, How does the risk reward of home insurance balance out for the insurance companies and how is that equation changing?
0: Of course. Well, currently right now here in Canada, if you were to look at flood risk, 1.5 million homes or approximately 10% of the Canadian housing market is uninsurable for flood risk. Now. Flip that. That actually means that 90% of homes in Canada are still insurable for flood risk. So big picture is that Canada is still very much insurable. But it is important to note that when coverage is removed, it's not because insurance companies are carelessly removing coverage. Quite the opposite. The insurance companies have actually done the math and they've determined that these regions, there is no premium high enough that they can charge that individuals would realistically be able to afford that you would actually be able to cover the risk in the system. So the risk is just too great in certain regions, and that's why insurance companies are pulling out. But I think it's also important to look at climate change from a different perspective. And so our team at the Intact Center on Climate Adaptation we actually performed the first ever quantitative analysis in Canada to determine the impact flooding has on the Canadian housing market. Mm. So there were a few findings of the report, but a key takeaway was that homes located in flooded communities compared to their non-flooded counterparts experienced on average across Canada an 8.2% reduction in the sold price of their home. So if you put your home up and it it was part of a community that had experienced flooding, you would automatically see a reduction in 8.2% in the sold price of your home. So this impact, it's important to both the mortgage providers and insurers in the way that they approve and price mortgage rates and insurance. And this is because mortgage rates and insurance depend in part on what's called loan-to-value ratio. So if the value of a home is compromised by unanticipated flood risk, then mortgage providers and insurers could actually be erroneously approving and mispricing mortgage rates and insurance. Right. So while insurance is still in place for, again, those 90% of, of Canadian homes, mortgage and insurance providers, they should actually be providing their clients with information on ways that they can reduce the risk of flood and wildfire, so these are the costliest extreme weather events in Canada, and that's actually going to help maintain the insurability in the Canadian housing market.
1: How volatile or at risk is someone's insurance that they're already paying for? You mentioned insurance companies can pull out, so uh, and I'm I'm providing, you know, a very simple example, but let's say uh, my own insurance company looked at my neighborhood in Toronto and said, oh my gosh, it's going to flood. I don't want to cover flood insurance anymore. Can they just take that part out of my policy at any time?
0: Currently in Canada, I believe there's about 200 insurance companies approximately. So I can't speak for any one of them as obviously they're going to make their own decisions. But what I'm seeing in the marketplace, and we can actually look to the United States for this when it comes to wildfire risk, What it looks like they're doing is they're maintaining certain policies, but not providing any new policies. Okay. So if you have your policy in place and you've never experienced a flood event, then I assume they would keep your policy in place. But even if it wasn't due to climate change, say your dishwasher overflowed multiple times, your insurance company could cancel your insurance in (sighs) regards to either cancelling your insurance outright or not offering you flood insurance for another flooded dishwasher, as an example. So yes, I believe insurance companies have a right to pull out whenever they wish. But in regards to climate change, I think they're going to try to maintain the insurability as much as possible. But that's going to depend on their calculations and and how they deem risk in the
1: system. When they're looking at Canada right now, um, speaking of volatility, like how do you do the math right now when one... Wildfire season is radically different from the next, or we see flooding in different parts of the country that than we've seen it before. Like it, it seems like this the whole system is in flux right now. I can't imagine how hard those calculations might be.
0: Of course. And each one is going to have their own calculations that they're going to do. They have their own proprietary information that they're going to use. They have their own flood risk maps and wildfire maps to determine where risks could potentially be. But more generally speaking, this has already been predicted. The climate models have shown this. If we look at the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, who is the authoritative body on all things climate change, Environment and Climate Change Canada has also produced this information. We understand that Canada and and the world is going to get hotter and wetter as we go forward. So climate change really means that over the medium and long term, you're going to expect more extremes or more variability. So more hot, dry, and no rain conditions to heavy and extreme rainfalls and storm surges. So hotter temperatures, that's going to lead to drought-like conditions That are going to dry out natural spaces such as soils, grasslands, and forested areas. And that's going to increase your chance of wildfire. Uh, With higher temperatures, this is going to lead to more lightning storms, which is the cause of approximately 50% of all wildfires from igniting. The other 50% is human caused. Rising temperatures also lead to greater amounts of precipitation falling because warm air holds more moisture. So if you have more moisture and more energy in the system, when water condenses and comes down, in the form of precipitation, we actually end up with bigger storms, with more water coming down over shorter periods of time. So the energy that went into evaporating that water in the first place, it doesn't disappear. It it stays in the system. So storms are coming down with even greater force than ever before. And what they're actually called is these microburst storms. So localized high precipitation events. And Canada is going to see these and continue to see these going forward.
1: So bottom line, are we going to end up with more than just 10% of the country that's uninsurable for floods? And what about wildfires? These numbers I'm expecting uh, are going to rise significantly in the coming years?
0: Yes. Well, flood and wildfire are your costliest extreme weather events throughout Canada. So if currently 10% of the Canadian housing market is uninsurable for flood risk, my assumption is that will continue to grow as... Uh, major precipitation events, major flood events continue to increase in severity. Now, when we talk about 10% of the Canadian housing market being uninsurable for flood risk, we have to remember that those homes can still get home insurance. They're just not insurable for flood risk. Right. So in the Canadian housing market to buy or sell a home, you need home insurance. So these homeowners They still have home insurance. So, again, if your dishwasher overflows or if you have an electrical fire, the home is still insurable. When we start talking about wildfire, this is a completely different risk. So there are insurance companies in the United States who have now basically said we are no longer offering any home insurance in the states of California, Florida, and Louisiana. When you read the documents, an underlying reason is because of the wildfire risk and the extreme weather risk in those given regions. And so it's not just about you're not insurable for wildfire risk you're not able to get any home insurance through those companies. And I'm assuming other companies will also follow suit in the United States. And why is that? When you're talking about flooding, you're actually talking on average, more or less, about a flooded basement. Obviously, we're seeing the catastrophic events happening in Nova Scotia right now where homes were actually being washed away. Mm -hmm. But that's on the extreme. Usually when we talk about flooding, it's because basements are being flooded out. When you talk about wildfire, what's actually happening is the home, there's complete catastrophic loss. The home completely burns down. And so those poor people need to find places to live. The homes need to be rebuilt. Infrastructure needs to be put into place. The resources need to be available. The contractors need to be available. There's so much more cost associated with a wildfire event. And so if we can use our counterparts in the United States, I would assume that insurance companies in Canada are probably looking at it. But again, I always go back to their job is to continue to provide insurance. They make Mm -hmm. money from providing insurance. They're going to want to insure the insurer of the Canadian housing market by making resources available so that homeowners can put measures into place and, and communities can put measures into place to reduce those risks.
1: Do homeowners typically understand what they're getting into when they're purchasing a home insurance policy?
0: In regards to a home insurance policy, it's, it's fairly well written out. What I would actually say is, I actually don't think homeowners have a very good understanding of the property that they're actually purchasing. Right. And so when I go to purchase a home, there's nowhere on the MLS, the multiple listing service, does it indicate that the home has experienced, say, a major flood event, or at least the homeowner, the current homeowner, and the real estate agent, they don't need to disclose that information. And very rarely will you even see if the home has, say, resilience measures put into place. So again, if we're talking about flooding, is there a sump pump or backwater valve? So these are instruments that would help reduce the risk of basement flooding. Mm -hmm. And even if I wanted to go see if the house I was going to potentially buy is located on a floodplain, so these are areas of higher risk of flooding, The flood risk maps in Canada are on average 20 to 25 years out of date. So that would be no use to me because the moment development occurs in a given area, that changes the flow of water within the community. So as we continue to build, and obviously we have been continuing to build over the last 20 to 25 years, we change the flow dynamics of water within our community. So the flood risk will continue to change now, that's in regards to flooding. If we're going to talk about wildfire, well, if you're located in an urban area, so say if you're in Toronto, flooding's going to be your risk where wildfire is going to be a major issue is in the wildland urban interface. So this is a zone where forested or high vegetation areas meet land development and human activity. So the built environment intermingles with the natural environment. So these human settlements in the wildland urban interface, they're at the greatest risk of catastrophic wildfire. And so you don't need a, a map for that. If I'm purchasing a home by a forest, I'm at risk.
1: What can we do about the increasing risk to property, and I guess the increasing risk of of uninsurable loss to owners, other than tackle, like, we're going to tackle the climate crisis, Um, sure, we'll solve it. But but in general, knowing that whatever direction we go on climate policy, we're in for uh, effects of this over the next decade at least, like, what do we need to be doing now to prepare for it?
0: Yeah. And and really to drive home your point, actually, we have to remember that climate change, a certain degree is actually priced in. And so it's irreversible. We're not going backward on the climate file. Right. So this is and I don't like using the term new normal because the new normal is changing so drastically year over year. So we have to remember that climate change is irreversible. But I also know that when we talk about climate change, the, the topic can be quite depressing. And I'm sure your listeners right now might be a little overwhelmed with the information.
1: Oh, they're used to me doing this to them by now.
0: Because <laughs> I, And I get it, it. It tends to be so negative. But what I really like to bring into conversations and what I hope to bring into our conversation today is that there is hope. So our team at the Intact Center we are working with organizations like the Standards Council of Canada and the Canadian Standards Association. And for basically every research project that we do, we bring together 60 to 80 subject matter experts from across the country to offer expert advice on how to develop practical, meaningful, and cost-effective ways to reduce these key physical climate risks so we know what to do at the level of the home and community. And what we've even done, because who wants to read a 100-page report? What we've actually done is we've taken these findings and we've distilled that information down into one page infographics that any homeowner or renter can use to put measures into place at the level of their home to reduce risk. Hmm. So you can go to the Intact Center website. It's under reports and resources and, and the infographics are right there for flooding at the level of the home, wildfire for home and community, and extreme heat for home and apartment and condo. So just as examples, in our three steps to cost-effective home flood protection, measures could include cleaning out eavesdrops, putting window well coverings over window wells, installing a sump pump and backwater valve, and then testing your sump pump and cleaning out your backwater valve. For wildfire, a lot of great information is available through FireSmart Canada. They are the experts and they have wonderful resources on their website. But our team has been very lucky to work with FireSmart Canada to develop a wildfire infographic. And that includes measures such as moving combustible materials such as plants, trees, and firewood 10 meters from the home and installing fire-resistant roof coverings. So that would be a metal roof as an example. So if embers from wildfires, they blow into your community and land on your home, your home doesn't actually ignite. And for extreme heat, which we're seeing more extreme heat events every summer, and not just here in Canada, but globally as well, these measures would include improving home insulation, installing heat-resistant curtains, and and checking on vulnerable people such as the elderly in in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There is so much information available. We really do know what to do. We just have to put these measures into
1: place now. The last question I want to ask you is about kind of the future picture of that all levels of government right now are promising to build new housing to help solve the housing crisis. Is the new housing we're planning and building today equipped with climate resiliency, like some of the the bigger picture stuff that you just mentioned? And And if not, what would it take to get it there?
0: So I would love to say yes, and I'm sure there are certain municipalities across Canada that are really taking this into consideration, but the majority of homes are not being built with these resilience measures put into place. And to be very honest, retrofitting a home with these measures is more costly than building a home from scratch and having these measures put into place. It's the same cost. So in the Wildland Urban Interface, building homes with fire-resistive siding is the same cost to building a home as normal, and yet post-analysis was done in Linton, British Columbia after that major wildfire event, and what was determined was fire-resistive siding drastically reduced the chance of a home burning down or not. So for homes located in the Wildland Urban Interface, they should be built and they should be retrofitted with fire-resistive siding and with metal roofs. I believe that when it comes to things like building codes, updating building codes, that's going to take 10 years. And and to be very honest, there's certain people in this country that do not have 10 years for building codes to be updated. And so we need to be working together. We need to be working with builders and developers. Like, how can these homes become more resilient for flooding? Uh, Sump pumps should just be put into every home, no matter what. Getting water out of the home if if, uh, water ends up in the basement. Even insurance companies right now, I was at a conference in February and insurance policies right now, basically say your home burns down, you have to rebuild that home exactly as it was. That was in the insurance policies. The insurers now recognize, well, listen, that's a fault in the system. We want people to be building back better. So even the insurance companies recognize that, hey, we could be doing more. If we're gonna fund for the house to be rebuilt, our policies should support that. But again, like I said, we have resources available. We know what to do at the level of the home and community to make our communities and homes more resilient. And yet it just, in my opinion, it's not being done fast enough.
1: Catherine, thank you for explaining all this to us. It's really important.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Catherine Backos of the Intact Centre on Climate Adaptation at the University of Waterloo. That was The Big Story for more... You can find us at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. You can also send us some feedback on literally anything, what you like about this show, what you hate about this show, what you wish we'd do, what you wish we wouldn't do. We love to hear it all. I read every one, even if I can't respond to them all. And everybody on the team always welcomes topic suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN, via email, hello, at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca, And you can call and leave a voicemail, 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.